皆さん、こんにちは。And welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so much for joining us, whether it is your first episode, you listen to every episode, or somewhere in between. We couldn't be happier and more sincerely thankful that you have chosen to take a little bit out of your day to listen to our little podcast. Today, we have a review episode. It is the first episode that I will do as a newly 29 year old. I don't know. If we, did you think I was younger? Did you think I was older? I'm, I'm not really sure. Everybody so far has been a little bit surprised that I'm 29. But here it is. But on my first episode, being 29 years old, it will be a review episode. We will be going over Oink's newest game, Town 77, which is a remake of their game, Town 66, which I'm not sure if that's supposed to be pronounced 77 or 66. I'm not really sure. And then we will be going over Sashi and Sashi's new role and write, Newsboys. And then we'll be going over a funny little game from Essen that got a little bit of people talking just based on its concept of being a mixture of rock, paper, scissors, and tic tac toe called rubber, paper, scissors. Just a reminder that this week starts the giveaways season. We are partnering with travelgames.co.uk, who is on our podcast now once a month. Uh, we will be doing a couple giveaways, some with them, in which you can enter by liking both of our Twitters and his Facebook and both of our Instagrams, as well as spending money at his shop. So、uh, I will leave the links to that in the show description below. But you can also further be entered into our giveaways by doing the exact same thing, but also by leaving five star reviews with comments on your favorite podcast player, and also by leaving comments on our Instagram, on our Twitter posts. On our YouTube videos, whatever it might be. And each separate thing that you do is worth one additional entry into those giveaways. We are going to be giving away tons of games between now and the new years. So just stay subscribed. Don't like, just click the button. And then after we get, do our first giveaway, go unsubscribe. Stay subscribed because we're going to do a lots of giveaways throughout the holiday season. All right, I think that's all of my housekeeping for the day. So let's get going on the reviews for the games today. To start off, and that was a little bit misleading, I actually want to talk about a game that we talked about on our SND briefing episode that was published this last Monday, and that is Art Frenzy, which is a speed style game that comes in two flavors either the gallery edition that has old classic artworks, or the symphony edition, which comes with musical works, and this could be classical music, operas, and ballet. Like I said, it's a speed game, so it'll Give you in different modes, it'll give you kind of different styles of hints for you to guess either the artwork or the musical work, depending on the version that you have. And this could be like remixes where they add things to the painting or they play the、uh, musical piece with a different instrument. It could have been like a violin sonata and they'll play it on the electric guitar. Or some of them have special effects in which you're supposed to like hear the piece from another room or hear it over the sound of a moving train. Or maybe for the artworks, it kind of starts like really, really fuzzy or it like focuses in on one specific, very small portion of the painting and then it expands out. So there's lots of different ways that even if you know the pieces, it'll make you think a little bit about what those pieces are. But What we said during the review was that we liked the premise of the game. We had fun with the game. And I would definitely, definitely recommend this for teachers that want to、uh, use this in the classroom or for people that have a music lover or art lover for the game.、Uh, this would be a great gift. But I also said that we did have some problems with some of the features of the app. So, for example, the one in which、uh, you're supposed to hear it over the sound of a moving train. Well, we could only actually hear the train, we couldn't hear the pieces. I also said that. 
hey, it was weird because it seemed like we were supposed to take those cards out and then they would repeat it later on the app, which, it, you know, there's no pass button or anything like that. So it was all sorts of a mess that I said. Well, I also said in that review that I emailed them asking them about these feature bugs. And sure enough, after we had already, of course, published the episode, uh, they got back to me. And we've had a great conversation this week about them doing a little bit of some changes. And part of it is on me, on the fact that I didn't know what the wrong card setting was, which means that on, like, automatically on the app, if you don't push the wrong card setting, if you get a card wrong, you aren't supposed to take that card out. You're supposed to leave it on the table and it'll repeat later. You have to tap on wrong card, which means that you are in fact taking them out, whether you get them right or wrong. So that one is totally on me for not knowing that rule and to select that during the app. But the other parts were a really nice conversation between the two of us. Um, they were saying, okay, yeah, maybe you didn't know about that feature, but maybe it's because we put the explanation of what the features are too small. We didn't want it to distract from the main part of the app, but maybe that leads people to not even know what those features are. Like you didn't even know that there was an information section that you could go to to see what these different settings are. So maybe we'll make them bigger. We're also gonna tweak the special effects on the app to make sure that, you know, we wanted it to be a challenge, but if you still can't hear it, then, you know, that goes against the point of it. And these little things are really nice. And I love about these small games that are coming out of Asia these days, of really creators that want to make a game that other people can enjoy. And the fact that, you know, they listened to the episode on Monday when I said that I had said these things, you know, you can hear some of my critiques, but I also wrote them out in the email and they listened to it and they said, okay, yeah, we, we, we get the feedback. We're going to try to change this so that more people can enjoy the game. And you can just see the passion behind, I want to make this game as good as possible for as many people as possible. And I also think that it's kind of an interesting counterpoint to a lot of the people who are pretty anti, I don't want my board games mixed with my apps. I think that now that we've had some better games, those kind of people are fewer and far between. Um, but this is just an instance where, you know, they release the game. Maybe the apps have like one or two problems or, you know, things that they can improve upon. The game works fine. And then because they hear some of the critiques and because it's an app, it's not the actual physical board game itself, they can just go in and change it and improve it. So now it has gotten to the point that I think that Art Frenzy is now a game that I can absolutely uh, recommend for people who are interested in art and in music. If you're not interested in those things, this is not going to do anything for, for you. You have to have quite a bit of musical knowledge or art knowledge with the period. Like if you don't know who uh, Monet is and you don't know Van Gogh paintings and things like that, you're not going to do very well with this game. It's not a game that you can kind of get from the hints if you don't know what paintings these actually are. But if you are interested in that kind of stuff, you want this stuff for the classroom in which you want to teach your students, you have somebody in your family who is interested in this stuff or a friend that's interested in this stuff, it'll make for a nice little present because it is, comes in a very uh, cheap package. Cheap maybe is the wrong word, but it comes in a very reasonable price. I think I only paid about 10 euros a box for it. And that is Art Frenzy by the design team at Design and Play. All right, we're almost eight minutes into this episode, and we're finally getting to the games that I put in the title of this episode. It is time. We are going to start off with Town 7-7, one of the newest Oink games, which I guess you can call new, even though it's kind of basically the exact same thing as Town 6-6, just a larger grid. Let me explain a little bit. And if you already know how to play Town 6-6, you already know how to play Town 7-7. 
So Town 7-7 is a game that is a little bit kind of like Sudoku, in which you and everyone at the table are going to be one at a time trying to put down houses on a 7x7 grid. You start with a hand of four tiles, and you'll play down one tile on your turn, but the rub is that you can only play the tile adjacent to a piece that has already been played, and it cannot have the same shape or the same color as any other house in that row or column. And that's why I say it's a bit like Sudoku because you have to kind of be thinking like that. After you play a tile, you'll draw back up to your hand limit, and then you have a choice of discarding a tile permanently from your hand, which basically means like you are going to be permanently lowering your hand limit from four to three or three to two or two to one for the rest of the game. And the reason that you want to be doing this is because the goal is actually to completely shed your hand of tiles. Now, there's one other thing I need to explain, which is at any point in the game, before you play your tile down, if you have three of the same house type or three of the same color, you can exchange those three for a different three in the bag because that is going to be very hard for you. But again, like I said, the aim of the game is to shed your hand of tiles, but at any point, if on your turn, none of the tiles in your hand meet the conditions that you can play a tile, you are done. You are out of the round and you need to keep in your hand the tiles that you have left. You'll wait around until everybody is done with their round, which means that either they are in the same boat as you and they just couldn't play, or they were able to completely shed their hand of tiles. And then it's time for the end game scoring. First, you'll look at whoever has the least amount of tiles left in their hand. If one person by themselves has the least amount of tiles left, then they win. But that is rarely the case because often the case, either multiple people were able to shed their hand or multiple people have one tile left. So you go to the tiebreaker. And the tiebreaker is where this game gets a little bit more interesting because the tiebreaker is actually who was able to stay in the game the longest. That's right. It's not the quickest person to shed their hand, Rather, who was able to kind of dilly-dally and stay in the game the longest, push their luck the longest, and then was able to get the least amount of tiles. And that's it. That's how you play Town 7-7. It's not a very difficult game to explain. Now, I heard from a little birdie, and I didn't ask if I could say who it was on the podcast, so I'm sorry. I, I know who you are, and I thank you for this piece of information. But I heard from a little birdie that Town 7-7 was actually made more out of necessity than they wanted to. And maybe that's a bad way of phrasing it. But what actually happened was the Town 6-6 solo mode was basically impossible to win, just mathematically speaking. So that's why in the very next year, they came out with like the re-implementation of it, which is, oh, okay, actually the grid needs to be 7 by 7 not 6 by 6 for the solo mode to be attainable, which is a bit of an interesting kind of oversight but it is commendable that the very next year, then they were like, okay, if we just do 7x7, seven seven, we're going to do this, and then we're going to republish it as Town 7-7, seven seven, kind of get rid of Town 6-6. Six six. So I guess it's it didn't take them very long to get that feedback and then implement it in the newer version, and it has the same rules, it plays the same way, and if you're playing with two, three, or four players, you're basically getting the same game. Now, I think coming into this game, the things that I had heard about it was, okay, it's a very intro, filler, very short game that is very easy to explain. It's a very solid entry into the Oink catalog. And I do agree with that. It is easy to explain. Um, it doesn't take, you know, I think I explained it to you on the podcast using no components at all in about two minutes. 
Um, and it plays about 10 to 15 minutes. So it's very quick as well. Um, for a small package, it actually does take up quite a bit of room. I'm not saying like it's the patchwork proportion where it takes up like a whole dining room table, but it's a little bit too big to say play on a train or something like that. But because it comes in a small package, it does fulfill the promise of being a very travel-friendly game. I can see this working well if you wanted to play it at like an Airbnb or if you wanted to play it at a hotel room or things like that. But I think where my expectations started to get shifted a little bit was in that kind of what I perceive as like a really good intro game. Because usually when I hear games talked about as an intro game, I'm thinking, okay, this is a game that I can bring to game night with people who don't necessarily play games. And yet this game, I don't think really plays well at three or four. I think this game is best at one or two because you can actually fully explore the puzzle that it is in kind of playing with that brain burniness that is kind of the hook to this game. And the hook kind of reminds me of another point, and I wanted to bring it up with you because I think it was Mike Delisio of the Dice Tower that brought this up about Oink Games, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And that is that Oink is very good about getting an idea into a box. That is basically what they're known for at this point, right? It's like that small box game that has a really central idea. But a lot of that means that you are going to have one dominant idea in the box, right? It's not like they're bringing five different ideas and putting it into a small box. No, it's one central idea. And whether you like that central idea or not is going to determine whether you are going to like that game because there's not going to be a whole lot of other stuff going on that's going to draw you in. So if we take that and we apply it to Town 7-7, then I think the central idea is how do you feel about push your luck Sudoku? Because that is what this is. Because at the same time that you are trying to satisfy those Sudoku, okay, don't put the same color in this case, you know, color shape, but you know what I'm saying. Um, don't put the same thing in the same row or column, right? Okay, well, how many possibilities does that leave me for the tiles that I have in my hand? What tiles should I try to discard to get closer to the end of the game? And at the same time, you're looking at the other players at the table. And like I said, usually it's best with like when you only have one other person at the table, but you're looking at the other person's tiles and the other person's tiles show the color that they have uh, on the back of them. So you can kind of have somewhat of an idea of what they can and can't do. You look at them and they go, okay, what are the chances that they are able to get rid of the tiles? Um, is there something that I can do to limit the amount of tiles that they have? But this sounds more competitive than it is because most of the time you are going to be looking at your own tiles, kind of thinking about what you and only you can do to fill out this grid and shed your tiles and maybe just maybe stay in just enough longer that if the other person is able to discard the same amount of tiles as you, then you can just stay in a little bit longer and beat them on the tiebreaker. And there is really no other ideas here. If that concept of it's Sudoku, but you're trying to stay in as long as possible doesn't entice you, there is nothing about this game that is going to interest you because that is it for you. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I like that it is very much just that. But for us, it just is kind of a middle tier oink game, I think, because of that. You know, you have their other games like Insider, which is, you know, 20 questions with a trader. That's it. Cool. That sounds awesome to us. Turns out that we liked Insider. 
So that's what you need to ask yourself. For a lot of people, I think Sudoku is interesting, but not as fun. And so you're going to feel that exactly the same way with this game. I think a lot of the people that we played it with kind of said, yeah, the hook in and of itself, the push your luck Sudoku is interesting, but I don't find myself enjoying it that much so that I want to play it again over something else that is just as easy to learn and I'm enjoying myself a bit more while playing it. But it's a solid mid-tier Oink game. I don't think it's going to become an Oink classic that we're going to be talking about for years to come. But if you're looking for a nice little brain-burny puzzle in a quick amount of time and the push-your-luck Sudoku aspect grabs your attention, then I do think you are really going to enjoy Town 7-7. And that is Town 7-7, designed by Christoph Kanzler and Anya Wert. The art is by Jun Sasaki, and it is published by Oink Games. The next two games are games that we have covered on our YouTube, and I have gotten questions a little bit of like why we're doing that, and I, I think I only explained it on one podcast before, so that is a little bit of my mistake. I did get some a lot of feedback from people that, hey, I don't actually watch YouTube, there's too many ads on YouTube, so can you please talk about the games that you talk about on YouTube, not just on YouTube, but on podcast form. And so we're trying to overlap them a little bit, but I'm not going to talk about them in the same way as I did on YouTube. I'll, I'll, I'll hit the same key points to our opinions, but I'll try, try to say stuff that are a little bit differently. So that way, if you already watch the YouTube, you will get something else out of listening to it on the podcast. But if you're only listening to the podcast, then, hey, you're not missing out on the important parts of our opinion. And the first game we're going to talk about is Newsboys, the newest roll and write from Sashi and Sashi. Newsboys is a game in which you are running a paper delivery route and trying to expand your paper delivery empire, if you will. Um, and at the same time, you are needing to balance out going on strike so that you earn the amount of money that you should be earning for how much your empire is expanding out. Now, you're going to be doing this in a mix of flip and write and roll and write. The flip and write aspect is pretty straightforward. You're going to flip over a card and there will be three icons that will be revealed. Those three icons are icons that everybody at the table shares. Then the roll and write aspect are your own personal three dice in which will give you three more icons for you to choose from. Everybody will have the choice from those three icons on the cards and the three icons on the dice, and they will combine, so for a total of six icons that you have to choose from on your turn. Now, you will choose any one icon from those icons that were rolled and the amount of that icon that you rolled and exactly the amount of that icon that you rolled and place it somewhere on your board that is adjacent to a spot that you already have marked off. So for example, if I flip over something that has like a red, an orange, and a green, and I roll two reds and a green, okay, well that means that I have the option of the three reds combined, the two greens, and the orange for my turn. Now, I can either use, let's say I'm gonna pick those three reds. I can use those reds to mark off a red neighborhood, or I could use those three reds to mark off three spots on my strike gauge, but I'll get to what those do in a little bit. When I complete a neighborhood, I get to check off that on the bottom of the board. There's five of each type of neighborhood, so I get to check off the first one. And if I'm able to mark off the neighborhood and finish the neighborhood with exactly the amount that I needed, so let's say I picked those three reds, and there was exactly a neighborhood that needed three reds, so I was able to finish it exactly, then I get a bonus. This bonus can be used to either mark off an additional spot somewhere on my map, 
or to put an additional spot in my strike gauge. And since this is the second time we're talking about the strike gauge, let's talk about what that is. As you mark off certain neighborhoods on your board, you will get to mark off a dollar sign on the bottom of your board. Okay, cool, I marked off this neighborhood, this neighborhood has a dollar sign on it, so I will mark off that one dollar sign on the bottom of my board. And at certain points of the game, you will have things called payday. And these happen when a player completes every type of neighborhood twice, and when a player completes every type of neighborhood three times. You will then look at your strike gauge and the dollar signs that you marked off, and you will take the lowest number as your score. So if you're expanding your empire lots and getting lots of dollar signs but not striking, well, guess what? You only get the small number that you got for strikes. But if you're just going on strikes and not actually expanding your empire and getting dollar signs, well, you're just going to get the small amount of pay as your points. And this is the central hook to the game. The central selling point of the game was that you were needing to do this flip and write and roll and write stuff that you normally do, but you're also going to have to sacrifice doing some of that stuff in order to just say, no, I'm going on strike and not working. Now, there are some other common bonuses that you'll get that you will see in other games, like getting bonuses for completing the A region of the board before anybody else does. And if somebody completes that A region later, then they get points, just it's less points. You also get bonuses for completing all of one type of neighborhood on the board. So for example, if you complete all of the green neighborhoods, then you get that bonus. And again, if somebody does it later in the game, they get points, it's just less points. So there's lots of bonuses to be had. After the end game card is drawn or somebody completes all of two different types of neighborhoods, the game is over and it is time to tally up your points and whoever has the most points wins. Now, the biggest thing to us, this was probably our most anticipated game at Essen. And the big thing to us was that we were excited to see what Sashi and Sashi would build off of from their previous successes in the roll and write genre. And this is actually the second game in a series that I don't know what they're calling it. Maybe it's just like the roll and write series, but they had started it with Let's Make a Bus Route, the dice game, which was a re-implementation of their previous success, Let's Make a Bus Route. And I think Sashi and Sashi fans have come to really expect certain things from Sashi and Sashi games now. And one of those things is that you're going to get the fantastic art from Takako Takarai. And great, this one has it, so a good first step. The second thing is people expect solid mechanics that might blend in well with an interesting theme. And this game has the solid mechanics for sure. I like the fact that there are both private and public icons to choose from that both give you that kind of give you two chances to have the icon that you want. I also like that you can prepare combos for yourself by leaving just one spot open on a bunch of different neighborhoods. And then when you get the one referral bonus that you've been looking for, you can go to town crossing off a bunch of them, getting another referral bonus, then cross out the last section in another neighborhood. And that's another referral bonus and kind of go to town on it. That way, I like that. It feels good. And I really do like the pacing of this game. The game never overstays. It's welcome and it's a nice little package. So I like that. But it's the third thing that kind of got me a little bit, shall we say, disappointed with this game. And that is the big thing, that we think this game is good, but we are a bit disappointed by it. The thing that I'm always looking for Sashi and Sashi is the thematic integration that it has with the mechanics. Oftentimes, the mechanics that you have or the art that's on there that blend in with the mechanics, it could only have been that thing. Uh, And it doesn't even have to be 
as something that you would commonly see in board games. We've seen them tackle things like jazz-themed trick-taker, taking a picture, cleaning the house before guests arrive, waiting in line in front of an elevator. These things were like, I'm really not sure that I've, that I've particularly seen this theme in other board games, but it works, and it works well with the mechanics. It could have only been that thing. And I was excited to see them do better at it because they'd already succeeded at it. Let's Make a Bus Route is one of, I think, still the best roll and writes out there. And I guess it's a flip and write, technically, because of how well it implements its theme. First of all, it has interaction where other flip and writes just don't because you're all sharing a central board and you're drawing routes on this map as bus drivers, right? And then you're picking up certain passengers and needing to bring them to certain destinations. So like, you're not gonna bring the student to the tourist destination, but you're gonna bring the student to the university. And everybody has their own central goals, like their own secret goals. So it's like, for example, I might want to be picking up a bunch of students. So I'm gonna be the bus driver. I'm gonna be like the school bus driver, basically. But at the same time, the other person is trying to bring their specific passengers to somewhere on the board. And most likely we're going to be crossing paths. We're gonna be taking the same streets. But while I want to pick up a bunch of passengers, I'm going to lose points if I go down the same streets that the other bus drivers took because I'm creating a traffic jam. Everything about that, like I don't even have to tell you about the mechanics and you can already see the lines and the problems that might be having on this small central board. That could have only been that theme and everything matched that theme. So when they said, okay, guess what? We're going to build upon that and we're going to make this next game in Brooklyn, where you're going to be paper delivery people trying to build your own paper delivery empire. I'm like, this game sounds so cool. I am like fascinated. How are they going to make this happen? What is this strike gauge that they're talking about versus the dollar signs? Like, this is so cool. And yet when I play this game, Unlike Bus Route, where you want to succeed in your goals, you want to succeed in the central hook of the game, this one seems less so. The strike gauge and the dollar sign, the difference in points between the person who is the best at it and the person who was the worst at it was never the difference between winning and losing, ever. And that seems to be, I don't know, it's one of those things where I think, like, in terms of how the design works, it makes the design work. But when I was so excited for that to be the central tenant of the game, I'm just disappointed in that. This shows up mostly in the difference in player counts for this game. And let's talk about it as a two-player count and a four-player count. At the two-player count, the winner of the game is always going to be the person who got those area bonuses first and who were just able to cross off more stuff on their board first. It is not going to be the person who better balanced their strike gauge and their dollar signs. It's just never going to be that person because the difference in points between what you can do with your strike gauge and your dollar sign points, at least in our games, I could be playing this completely wrong, but it just was never enough to overcome the difference in points that the other person got by completing the A region first and the C region first and the B region first and the bonuses that they got for completing all of the orange neighborhoods first and the green neighborhoods first or completing all of the types of neighborhoods first, right? It, like there were so many bonuses that the other person was getting that even though I was focused or the other person was focused on really maxing out that strike gauge and maxing out as much as they could and balancing out as much as they could so we could gain the maximum possible points on that kind of line, just wasn't enough to overcome that difference. Whereas the four-player game, it does become a bit more important because there are so many people who might be going for different bonuses. It is much more rare 
that somebody is going to get all of the bonuses. This person might be able to get the A bonus, but they're probably not going to get the B bonus. They're probably going to be able to get the orange bonus, but they're not going to be able to get the green bonus, for example. So in that sense, yes, the strike age is a lot more important. But I think that's where I'm coming down on that the game is actually quite good. And I hope that I got that point across in my YouTube channel. I think when when you're kind of expecting a game to be like an eight or nine, because that's where we put let's make a bus route and you're expecting them to kind of do better. And then it comes down to only being like, I think we would probably rate this like a 7.5 when you're expecting an eight or nine and you get a 7.5, you can come off as a bit more negative because it's just lower than you were expecting it to be. Even though the game is actually really quite solid. I think I said this in the YouTube video, at least I'm hoping so, but this Roll and Write is actually, I think, in the top third of Roll and Writes that are out there. It's clever and has lots of things for you to do, and I like the mechanics of this. I like the art of this, but it's probably in the bottom third of the Sashi and Sashi games because I think what I'm expecting from them as a publisher is just a little bit more thematic integration that makes me excited to introduce this to people and say, look at this game that shows you how you can do this. And did you think that this could be a theme in a game? No, let me show you how this company has succeeded in doing that. So if you are looking for a new Roll and Write out of Japan and you're asking me, hey, does this game kind of differentiate itself from other Roll and Writes enough that it's worth maybe the $25 plus the import fees. I don't know how much it's going to be, but let us it's probably going to be around $25 because that's what Let's Make a Bus Route the Dice Game is. Um, is it worth the $25 plus the import fees? I'm going to probably say mm, probably not. If you can get it at retail price, it would be worth it, but I just don't think it does enough interesting stuff, especially with like the theme that is pretty could have been anything enough to differentiate it from the stuff that you can probably get in your home country for 15 to $20. And that is Newsboys, designed by Sashi. The art is by Takako Takarai and published by Sashi and Sashi. And now for a game that I had literally zero expectations for. I actually ended up grabbing it, not by accident, but unintentionally. When I was waiting for an interview with Ethan, I was just kind of walking around the booths in that area and stumbled upon this one. And they kind of came and said, okay, would you like to play a game of rock, paper, scissors and tic-tac-toe and set collection? And I said, that sounds like a jumbled mess of an idea. And I have no idea how that's going to work, but sure, I have 10 minutes to kill. Why not? And you know what? I'm pretty glad I did because I think this is actually the game. And you know, this is a little bit easy because games take about five minutes of this. Ever since Essen, this is probably the most played game that we have had. The rules are very, very simple. There are only two players to this game, the blue player and the orange player. There is a central board that is laid out like a tic-tac-toe style grid. And in each of those squares is a window. And in that window, you have a face up token and a face down token. So there is a total of nine rounds to this game. In a round, you are going to play rock, paper, scissors against each other. Whoever wins gets to choose one of three different options. Choose the face up token in the window, choose the face down token in the window, or put one of their colored tokens on that window. The losing player then gets to pick one of the two remaining options, and then the winning player gets to pick the last remaining option. So the winning player will get two actions, and the losing player will get one action. Why would they choose the colored token one and not the tokens that are on the window? Well, this is the tic-tac-toe style of the thing. If you have your color make any tic-tac-toe line on the board, they are worth three points each. 
Now, the tokens, though, that are on the window are very important because they could be different things. They could be something like a skateboard or a helmet, and this is the set collection aspect of it. The more of a certain type of icon that you have, well, that's more points for you. And when you play the advanced game, you, these might be worth even more points because some of these tokens might be, well, actually, every skateboard that you have is actually worth an additional point on top of what you already got for it. Now, there is one other type of token that is on the board, and that is the crown token. The game ends immediately in a victory for that player if they can get three crown tokens. Now, the rub is that before the game begins, you actually take out four tokens from the game, so you never actually know if there are going to be three crowns on the board. If nobody gets the three crowns, you play all nine rounds, and then whoever has the most points at the end wins. That's it. Those are all the rules for rubber, paper, scissors. And this doesn't sound like it has a lot going for it because first of all, it's rock, paper, scissors, a game of pure luck. Tic-tac-toe, a game that is not really thought of as a very fun game. In fact, it's a solved game, I think at this point, right? And it's set collection, a mechanism that we see as a part of a lot of games, but we never really see it as one of the central mechanisms in a game anymore because it's just not that exciting. So, okay, like I said before, this game just sounds like a jumbled mess. How on earth would that work? How on earth would that even be fun? And that's the crazy thing about this game. It could be partly because we didn't have any expectations as part of it, but actually it turns out that this game is kind of some quick, silly fun. The games take about five minutes to play. The accessibility is super high. This is something that Simachan brought up a lot, which is that like, hey, for people that don't really play board games or might even be intimidated by board games, this is such an accessible thing because they already know how to play rock, paper, scissors. They already know how to play tic-tac-toe. And that means they're two thirds of the way done with the rules explanations already, which for a lot of people who are intimidated by board games and a lot of people who aren't, the rules teach is the worst part. So we can get up and get going in about a minute. And then we can play a game that lasts five minutes. And then everything about this game seems like a jumbled mess of an idea anyway. Like the art style, I have no idea why we're playing rock, paper, scissors and tic-tac-toe with skateboards and helmets. Who thought of that theme? And then we're like, hey, we're not even going to do just skateboards and helmets. We're going to do like the 90s, 2000s, like extremely goofy movie style art for this one. But they're also not going to be like friendly looking. They're going to be like very intense looking skateboards. I'm like, what? who is deciding on this? I don't know who made any of these decisions. But I also, for the life of me, could not tell you why I like this game so much, why we like this game so much, why everyone we've played it with so far likes this game so much. I'm not going to say that it's like a 9 out of 10 or anything like that. It's probably still, you know, com even compared to Newsboys, I would probably say it's like a worse game, if you will, and I'm doing air quotes, which is not really good for an audio medium, but it's like... You almost instinctively enjoy something that are games that you played a lot as a kid, and it works especially well with a group of Japanese people who, like, rock, paper, scissors in Japan is, like, the major decision tool for all ages. And if you want to go back and listen to our history of rock, paper, scissors, the rock, paper, scissors that you know is probably from Japan. I will put a link to that episode in the show description below. It's like a 10-minute long episode. And I think Ben asked me an interesting question after our YouTube video was posted on this game. And he's like, why would you like Rubber Paper Scissors, a game that seems so much about luck, but you didn't like Nana that much? And I think, again, and this is maybe just like the theme of the week for this, is like the expectations are just so important when you're going into a game. Like Rubber Paper Scissors, I thought was going to be a really bad game. And then it ended up being pretty good actually. And this was so surprising that I wanted to show it to other people and be like, hey, 
actually, like, look at this game that I got. It's kind of crazy, right? And they go, oh, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Let's play it. And it's like, oh, actually, this is pretty fun. Let's do a tournament of this because the games only take five minutes. And we end up spending an hour or so playing this game. Whereas with Nana, we had already heard that this might be like the next big thing coming out of Japan and people were paying enormous amounts of money to get a copy for this one. And then when it ended up being just fine, I kind of went out and I don't know how that video was one of the videos that we got known for of like saying, actually, we think it's just pretty good. It's not a bad game. It's just pretty good. And let me tell you why maybe you don't need to spend enormous amounts of money on this one. Um, it just was a shift in expectations. And this is kind of the same thing with Newsboys too. And I don't want to sell rubber, paper, scissors short. They managed to make a game that uses kids' games and then adds a little bit of strategy with the set collection. It's not an overbearing amount uh, or anything. It's, you're not going to be bringing this to your friends who really like heavy games. But they managed to mix in just enough strategy to make this game actually work. And that is kind of an interesting spot that I didn't know need filled in my game collection. It is kind of weird that I have a party game for two people. But that just means that I'm going to be, if people come over, I can introduce them to board games. We can watch these two people play for five minutes and kind of root them on. The scoring takes 30 seconds to do, and then we're on to the next one. And I also think it just would work really well with kids in general. I'm going to probably be bringing this game to the holiday seasons coming up. And you know what? That makes me kind of happy. A company went to Essen with a game that sounded pretty ridiculous to a lot of hobbyist board gamers, but they were confident in what they had. I ended up getting a copy, and you know what? It's been one of the more enjoyable games that I have gotten from the convention. And that is Rubber, Paper, Scissors, designed by Leon Liu and Anthony Perrone. The art is by Juan Momoko, and it's published by Wonderful World Board Games. Well, thank you for sticking around with us. This was a bit of a longer episode and I was probably rambly as usual, but I always appreciate you giving us a little bit of your time, maybe a lot of your bit of time today to listen to our small little episode. Just a reminder to hit that subscribe button or following button on your podcast player and go and like us and follow us at Instagram and Twitter slash X and on TikTok, which we have a new one for and on YouTube. Not only would it be awesome for us so we can keep growing the channel, but it'd be awesome for you because now you will be entered into giveaways. And if you're already subscribed and stuff on those platforms, don't worry, you are going to be entered into them as well. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. We have a couple more videos that'll be posted to YouTube, so keep an eye out for that. Arigatou gozaimasu. Until next time, jane. Ja